World's Finest Podcast, Episode 74. James Doe, and with me is, well, okay, never mind. Stoner Mike won't come for another 25 minutes or so, but so right now it's Michael David Sims. How are you? I'm, I'm really good. I uh, got to see Alice in Chains in concert a few oh, days cool. ago. Again. Awesome, awesome show to uh, all the people who have lost respect for them for some reason because they went on without Lane Staley. Uh, really, just stop, please. Uh-huh. They are they are still amazing. Just uh-huh. Overall, a, a fan-fucking-tastic show. I didn't know they were still touring and all that. I assume they're still putting out albums then, or...? Yeah, they just, their latest one just came out in September. Oh, okay. And what happened to the first singer? Did he pass away? Yeah. His death was one of the most unsurprising ever. Mm, okay. He was a major league drug addict. Okay. And I didn't know if, like, he went into rehab and then disappeared, or if he did die, but I thought he died, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, several years ago. But anyway, yeah, yeah, that was an awesome show. And spring break is coming up for me. This goes up on Wednesday, so Wednesday afternoon will be my spring break beginning. Nice, nice, yeah. Which means we're going to be able to get. Uh, hopefully, we got to contact Tom. And uh, so, Tom, if you're listening, and I know you are, send us an email about this. But you know that means we might be able to get Green Lantern for his flight out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, we could potentially do World's Finest Podcast, you know, not 12 hours before I want to have it posted, such as tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a little certain something with Ian might get done, too. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm going to gobble up all your time with podcasting. So there you go. <laughs> I might as well, since it's the only time I'm going to get to do it. Yeah, exactly. We're just going to record, like, from like this episode all the way up through 100 during spring break, and we're just going to be done. We just won't let anybody... <laughs> oh, wait, we already let them know. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> we should say that for this episode, we received a ton, a ton of email. Uh, I think two voicemails, too. But we are not going to read or play them during this episode because of what I said just a few minutes ago. Seriously, you know, we're recording this at you know, 10.45-ish Central Time, Tuesday night. And, of course, I like to have these up on Wednesdays. My fault, folks. Well, you know, it is what it is. Your schedule's busy, and, you know, I don't think anybody can fault you for that. But, uh, yeah, I like to have these shows posted usually by noonish. So, yeah, got a, got a little over 12 hours to, to get this done. So we're trying to limit how much work I actually have to do. So we are going to hold off on reading the emails in this episode, and next time, in episode 75, we're just going to have, like, a huge email section on top email of the their views. Yeah, because I'm serious. I think we got somewhere, like, between 12 and 15 for this one. And over the next two weeks, I know we'll get at least half that. So, yeah, <laughs> lots of emails to be read next time, just not this time again because of uh, scheduling and time constraints. Well, look who's back. Today, the world changes. Kaznia is at the forefront of that change. Crucial to these changes was Kaznia's contribution to the International Space Station, Platform One. A contribution somewhat larger than you've been led to believe. No, even he wouldn't. 
This device is called a mass driver, but I prefer its more colloquial appellation, a railgun. It's all very complicated. Perhaps a demonstration is in order. The asteroid is mostly iron ore. The large coils are a magnetic accelerator. The target is anywhere I say. This time, were I the USS Abington Carrier Group, I'd pick up my pace substantially. Railgun in orbit. Kaznia has the ultimate high ground. I am now the dominant military power on Earth. And there are going to be some changes. First up today is Maid of Honor. In episode one, it begins with Diana deciding that she needs to get out more and have a social life. Hmm. Yes, you do, sister. Okay. So she goes to Paris, where Audrey, the princess of Kaznia, everybody knows Kaznia, the DCAU's <laughs> favorite hotbed of terrorist and otherwise illegal activity. <laughs> So she's attending a party there in Paris, and so Diana's being swarmed by everyone there, all these dignitaries and rich folk, and uh, finally Bruce Wayne, of all people, rescues her and starts dancing with her, and hmm. they're they're hitting it off very nicely and obviously enjoying themselves when suddenly a group of, you guessed it, terrorists burst through the ceiling, and ki- they attempt to kidnap Princess Audrey. Bruce scuttles off to try and get his uh, bat suit on, but... No no need, because Diana single-handedly rescues Audrey from these uh, bumbling terrorists. And uh, Audrey is very thankful, and she invites Diana to go out on a night of club hopping, as this is Audrey's last night of being a single woman. And she is in, a, in an arranged marriage. And uh, later we go to the Paris uh, division of Star Labs, where a trio of burglars have broken in or trying to steal this microchip, but uh, Batman intervenes. Two of them end up getting away, but Batman does manage to ensnare one of them. And he demands to know who he's working for, but the guy speaks in Kasny, and you can't understand a word that I'm saying, and I wouldn't tell you anything if you could. So Batman looks at him, <laughs> leans in, speaks Kasnian. I can, and you will. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it, seriously, anytime Batman speaks in another language, usually it's something very badass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The two who escaped managed to get the chip to their commander, a guy named Colonel Vox, who has this voice box collar thing. Batman confronts Diana in her tow room later and says that the burglar was a Kasdian Special Forces officer and that they've been stealing top-secret weapons technology. Uh, Diana doesn't believe that Audrey, spoiled as though she may be, knows anything about it, but couldn't hurt to ask her. And Audrey later swears that neither she nor her father know anything about it. So we go to her engagement party, and Audrey introduces Diana to her fiancé, one Vandal Savage. (gasps) Diana is like, um, I know you're a little young sister, but you do realize he was the leader of the Third Reich, correct? (laughs) And Savage interrupts her and says, uh, I'm his grandson, Vandal Savage III. Pleased to meet you. (laughs) 
and he has dedicated his life to erasing his grandfather's rather large stain on their legacy. He's also heading up Kaznia's very large contribution to an international space station, uh, and Audrey gets really pissed off at Diana for insulting Savage, and Diana confronts Savage outside and questions him, but he basically tells her to fuck off. And uh, we see Savage's goon, Colonel Vox, walk up to him, and Savage says, it's time to make the calls. And we go to outer space, where we see a group of Kaznian special forces officers taking over the space station and holding everyone inside hostage. Back in Kaznia, a maidservant poisons uh, King Gustav uh, at the orders of Savage, which gives him the appearance of having had a stroke. Audrey hears of this news from Savage, and she flies home immediately. Diana attempts to go after her and warn her, but she's intercepted by Vox, who yells her <laughs> right into a barn. Well, he's got a jetpack on, too. Don't forget the jetpack. <laughs> That's true. He's flying with a jetpack. I want to say it's almost James Bondian. Almost. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Sure. So she crashes into a barn and down in the French countryside somewhere in Kaznia. Audrey is at her father's bedside, and she decides that she must assume the throne now, and in a show of stability, she and Savage will be married immediately. And this news pleases Savage very much. End episode one. Oh, is that where that one ends? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, what were you thinking here? It's okay. This is another one of those ones where I think I liked it a lot more back in the day. It's not a bad episode, though, at least in my opinion. It does have plenty of great moments, not the least of which was Batman and his <laughs> interrogation. Yeah. But really, i got to be honest here. Most of my notes are just kind of goofy little, <laughs> hey, did you notice that? Did you notice that kind of notes? You know, it's really not a very deep episode. No, but I still liked it. I liked seeing Wonder Woman not in a secret identity, but just not being Wonder Woman at the same time. You know, going to that party on her own. She didn't know trouble was going to start. She didn't know Bruce was there. So I, I, I liked seeing them try to develop the char- that character that way. I thought she looked good uh, in, in a different outfit outside of her little, you know, bikini thingy. <laughs> I thought that the princess character was annoying, but she was supposed to be annoying. So they got that right. I liked her... <laughs> the fact that she was just proud of the fact that she was going to be fucking around. On the night of her honeymoon, you know, I mean, she says, I plan to go out with a bang. Several, if it can be arranged. You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, okay. The sexual innuendos in this episode are just all over the place. Yeah, yeah, so I like that aspect of the character. Again, I always, uh, you know, I always find it interesting when they can get past the censors, you know. I thought that was cool. I mean, I didn't know Savage was coming back. I mean, after he popped up, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, James said he comes back in this one. But I didn't remember before then. So when he came on, I was like, oh, man, this just got like ten times better. Um, (laughs) So that was really cool. I, I liked this being a very streamlined episode in regards to the heroes we get. Because in this one, we only get Wonder Woman and uh, Batman. Mm -hmm. And we see little hints of the future romance they kind of maybe almost have. You know, so we see the seat more. Because I think we've seen them together before this, haven't we? With little seats being laid. Well, here's more of them. I thought the Vox character was kind of cool. Because, like, when we first see him, he's all like, like, the two guys. I think only two guys return. And, yeah, and then to one of them, one of them apologizes for something. He says, do I have to raise my voice? And you're like, what? They're afraid of him yelling at them? And then later on, he does this scream to Diana. It's like, oh, wow, I see what they meant. That was cool. 
So, yeah, again, you're right. It's not a deep episode, but I had a whole hell of a lot of fun with it. That's what I was saying. All my notes are just kind of goofy, fun notes. Like, Audrey actually says the words VIP room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And in the same scene, she and Diana both have on very short skirts, and they're flying in the air. The paparazzi are going to have all kinds of upskirt shots of them. Hey, you know, yeah, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then later, Savage is like, I've never met a girl who can do the things for me that she can. There's more to that line, though. Exactly. And he says, like, politically. You know, but yeah. there's a pause, like, oh! Because <laughs> Diana's like, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> really, one of my favorite moments of this episode, I don't know if it was intended to be funny or not, but Princess Audrey is talking to her father on the phone after the terrorist att- or the attempted kidnapping, and he's like, I'll wipe out the entire opposition party. <laughs> and Audrey says, and I quote, no, father, that's gauche. <laughs> now, when I think about words to use when there is this idea of an extermination of a mass group of people, gauche is usually not the first word to come to mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, King Gustav was clearly banging the chamber uh, chambermaid. Oh, absolutely. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he just says, your services are not needed at this time. Then he drinks the cup and is poisoned. And then she's like, no, your services are not needed at this time. I forgot about that moment. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Every other scene is just one big sexual innuendo. <laughs> yeah. Is is it in this episode or the next one where the Flash makes was like impotence? That's in uh, Hearts and Minds. Oh, uh, grumble, grumble. Okay, I thought I thought that might have been, again, not in the first part of uh, Maid of Honor, but maybe the second. Because, of course, more Justice Leaguers do show up. You know, I, I do have to say, I do have a slight problem with this small nation funding and leading an international the building of an international space station. The biggest nations in the world have a hard enough time funding that, like, the one we really have. And we've got this tiny nation that somehow has the money and the world's backing, despite the fact that it's a hotbed for terrorist activity to and build this thing. Embargo. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I just, I mean, sure, sure, sure. You know, it, I don't want to say convenient for the plot, but mm, sort of, kinda, for for what we're going to find out later on, what the space station really is. I don't know, maybe you can make the claim that Vandal Savage had a lot of money and he he himself helped fund it. I don't know. I mean, that, we're talking a lot of money, though. <laughs> Granted, you know, he is 25,000 years old or whatever we find out later, but uh, that's a lot so of money. It could be implied. It could be implied. Okay, I could maybe go with that. But if that's the case, then wouldn't the Justice League have heard about Vandal Savage, the third in quotes, funding this space station and they obviously know who he is and the media would have had a field day with it too you know like oh the grandson again in quotes of you know not hitler <laughs> <laughs> oh you know he'd be he'd be the conan o'brien of of, of hitler's because it was hitler and then savage and then hitler was back and we had jay leno we had conan and now we got jay back ah, i like the parallel i just do there yeah jay leno's hitler okay wow Ooh, someone's <laughs> going to take offense to that. Sorry if you do. Um, but anyways, um, wow. <laughs> There's, oh God, I'm going to get roasted for that. Foot in mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but you see my point. It would have been on the news. The league yeah. would have heard about it. I mean, Kent would have heard about it within seconds of it happening. 
So, yeah. You know, I also find it a little odd that they just didn't know about Savage in general. I mean, they, they all know, especially Batman, what's going on in Kaznia. They'd stay abreast of who the princess was betrothed to. Yeah. So I, I, that's another thing I just thought of that I have uh, an issue with. They just should have known all around. <laughs> really, yeah, exactly. There's uh, another thing I like about this episode, though, is the music. There's some great just jazz music and background music, like in the party scene. The background music is nice. And then when Diana and Audrey are club hopping and they escape from the guards and out of the limo, there's some great just jazz music playing. It's pretty cool. There's also a, a really cool moment. I think it's when they're on the Eiffel Tower, actually, when Audrey mentions Diana having feet of clay, and she's yeah. like, you have no idea. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome reference to her her uh, origin. Yeah, yeah. I also liked when uh, they were in the club, and uh, the princess has, like, four guys on her arms, and she's like, I found party favors. Want some? Or whatever the line was. Uh-huh. And <laughs> Diana is like, hmm, <laughs> see? Steve Trevor... You know, Hawk Girl was right. Yep. <laughs> she had her taste of Steve, and now she can't get enough. Oh. <laughs> I'm just picturing old Steve now, not, yeah. not Steve from the, the hey, 40s. she took his hand, and they cut away. You know, I mean, how old is she? She's probably hundreds of years older than him, technically. So he's this still an infant true. to her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I broke a hip, Diana. Shut up. Put the lasso back on. Continue. Yeah, he's into the kinky stuff too, remember? Yeah, exactly, see? <laughs> Everybody in the, in the VA home or wherever Steve was staying, they're turning their hearing aids all the way up going, oh, whoa, look at them, you whippersnappers. You. <laughs> well, speaking of gruesome thoughts, how about that uh, that ending with the close-up on the king's face? Oh, yeah. Very, very gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his mouth hanging open and his eyes are just bugged out. And he, It's like you almost think he can see and understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what they were implying. That's what I took from it. He's trying to communicate, but he can't. He's just, like, frozen almost. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, speaking of that, that ending scene and all that stuff happening in his in his bedchamber, what's with that giant scepter just sitting there? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, like, just randomly there. Not a, not a crown or a tiara, but a scepter. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm just poking fun at it because I just didn't take them as being that royal. It just seems so out of place with what I was getting from their characters. That's royal in a 14th century kind of way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, the scepter comes back, but it's still like, what? I, I don't know. It's, it was just off for me. It's not, not like I'm going to take a point off or anything, you know, yeah. but yeah, still just, I raised my eyebrow a little. Goofy. Anything else or should we get into episode two? No, we're good. All right, so when episode two begins, it's in that farmhouse that Diana crashed into, and Batman's helping her up, and he informs her what's going on with the wedding, and Diana just up and flies off into the sky at, as fast as she can. Batman follows behind her in the Batwing, and the next couple minutes are they're kind of neat because it's just this mm-hmm. kind of cinematography that goes on. Basically, it's... Batman and Diana fighting off all kinds of Kaznian soldiers while the wedding is going on, and you only hear the organ. There's no sound effects of explosions or any words until the preacher starts uh, speaking. It's it's really cool, actually. Diana eventually does manage to get to the the chapel, and she bursts in by throwing a tank through the wall. <laughs> 
But uh, Savage incapacitates her, and she's arrested and imprisoned. And Audrey later on takes a walk through the castle and goes down to the jail cell where Diana's being held. And she and Diana argue back and forth, and she leaves after Diana says that she thinks that Savage is responsible for her father's condition. And so Audrey is very pissed off at this, and she goes down to see her new hubby, who is amassing military and political power in the basement. And Batman, at this point, contacts the Watchtower to try to get help extracting Wonder Woman, who's apparently too well-guarded for Batman to rescue her. Kind of strange, but okay. Yeah. Flash, Jean, and Jill watch on TV as Vandal Savage puts his plan into action. He activates a railgun aboard the space station and sends a meteorite hurtling into a U.S. Navy carrier group out in the out in the Atlantic Ocean, I think. And it causes a massive wave that destroys the entire fleet. And Jill says that that weapon can do a lot more damage than that. And Batman says, "All right, well, look that that weapon is taking out that weapon is top priority. So we'll just have to fend for ourselves here." So the Johns and Flash uh, head off to the, to the space station to destroy it, but they're shot down by the perimeter defenses, and Audrey demands to know what the hell Savage is doing, and Sav- Savage just bluntly says everything he's doing. Oh, I'm amassing military and political power, I'm building a real gun, I'm taking over the nations of the world. Anything else I forgot? <laughs> and uh, Audrey says, dude, you're ranting like a lunatic, like your grandfather, and Savage says, you fool. Wonder Woman was right all along. I'm over 25,000 years old. So we get uh, Savage's origin here. Apparently back in, I guess, the Cro-Magnet era, a meteor fell to Earth, and it was really, really cold. So Savage slept next to it, and the radiation from it granted him immortality. Okay. He uh, also says that, yes, I did poison your father, to which Audrey slashes him in the face with her nails, but he heals the wounds right in front of her. And he has her sent to her chamber. Batman does break Wonder Woman out, and the Justice League does manage to get aboard the space station. Diana and Batman free Audrey, and they go to take on Savage. We go back to the space station where Flash is uh, sucked out into outer space by one of the Kaznian goons. Meanwhile, Savage tells Vox to send a meteor towards Paris since they haven't met his demands yet. Jill sees Flash like just floating out in space, dying, and he rescues him from freezing and suffocating to death. And Flash immediately just beats the crap out of all the Kaznian guys because he's super pissed. And he also finds the control room, and Batman and Diana get to the control room down in Kaznia, and they take out Vox and Savage. And Batman isn't able to stop the railgun from discharging the meteor, but he does change the targeting coordinates to the castle. (laughs) So the meteor is hurtling towards Kaznia, but Batman manages to get everyone out uh, except for Savage, who is left inside while the meteor destroys the castle. Uh, and GL, meanwhile, gets everyone out of the space station and destroys it. Go back to Earth. Audrey and Diana are standing over the crater that was the castle. And suddenly, Savage emerges from the rubble, just mutilated beyond all reason. And he heals himself in a very painful-looking manner. Audrey has him arrested, but Savage is like, I'm a mortal bitch, you can't kill me. <laughs> and Audrey... And the guards escort him away. The end of the episode is just Diana walks up to Batman and says, you know, we never got to finish our dance. Batman's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So Diana's like, if you say so, but you're still taking me dancing. (laughs) Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so 
in regards to the way this one begins with the wedding and the fight being juxtaposed like that while we're hearing the bridal march and then the vows, I really think that when they were crafting that scene, they had the ending of the first Godfather in mind with the juxtaposition between the christening of a baby and several brutal assassinations. And it's all set to, you know, like, I think it's like organ, like church organ music. So I really, I really believe they were like, that, that was super cool. We can do something similar here. And it worked awesomely here. Not Godfather awesomely, but awesomely nonetheless. Yeah. That's a, that's a great catch. Mm -hmm. The second, the second I realized what they were doing, I was like, Godfather all the way. Yeah. I don't have a ton of notes for this one, but there, there's a, there, I have a, complaint and we talked about this several episodes of wfp ago where i was talking about gl when he goes into when they go out towards the space station he's like you know they're just they're military and astronauts mm -hmm. and they do the risk and he's just i don't know he's pardon the pun he's way too militant about uh -huh. uh, leave, leaving the hostages to just die well you know because he has that you know hardened marine mindset He's honestly thinking, you know what, there might be five innocent people on that space station or whatever it is, you know, and, you know, all the villains, too. So let's say they're like 15, 20 people are going to lose their lives versus however many in the area where one of those meteors is going to strike. And then how many are going to die from the fallout of that meteor? You know what I'm saying? So he's 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 got that mentality where, you know... What's the phrase? The I just totally lost the phrase. <laughs> but, you know, if he can save, you know, 50,000 people by letting 5, 10, 15 die, he's, he's going to do it. I, I understand that it is harsh, but that's, that is his background. So I buy it. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it, I, I side more with Flash and John because they're like, well, look, if we can save them, we should. Mm -hmm. And, and Jill still, you know, continues arguing. So it's just yeah. it's just after the, after Flash says uh, that and ha after uh, Jean agrees with Flash that mm -hmm. and and uh, Gilds is like if if I were one of them I'd want you to save the world not me and mm -hmm. it's just it's just from there it, it just seemed a little over the top up until then yeah I can I can agree with you though but I like Flash's comeback to that which after what John says the Flash says yeah but we'd come anyway mm -hmm. you know I like that because. You know, in just two lines of dialogue, they showed you who both guys are. The very different worlds they're coming from. Speaking of the Flash, though, and this I seriously had to knock a point off for. He's fucking dead. Yep. I mean, he's out there for... I mean, how long can you really survive in space? I mean, can you even for a second? I don't know. And and he's out there for a good thirty seconds, <laughs> at least the screen time. It's at least a minute and a half. I okay, mean, I re I remember back when I watched this for the very first time. I went back and watched it again, mm. and just for shits and giggles, I held my breath uh. for when Flash got sucked into space until the time he got 
rescued by Jill, yeah. I couldn't do it. It was yeah. just way too long. Mm-hmm. There's no way he would have survived. Plus the cold. I mean, yeah, now some people might be able to get away with saying that the cold aspect doesn't matter because he's the Flash and maybe he's always vibrating, so he's got an electrical field around him that keeps him warm. He's got the you know accelerated metabolism. Maybe that keeps him warm. Now you could try to say that, but is it keeping him so warm that he's not going to freeze? In space, you know? <laughs> I don't know about that. So if, if you want to try to justify it using that argument, go for it. But I don't think I'm going to buy it. <laughs> uh, no. There is a kind of a animation flub near the beginning. When uh, Diana lassos the missile into the fighter jet, mm-hmm. it's, it's clearly reused footage. And I want to say it's from Return of the Joker because oh. the explosion doesn't match where the impact of the missile and the plane hit. Mm. It, the explosion happens like, it's, this is really weird, but the explosion happens off to the right of where it should mm-hmm. on the on the screen. Oh. It's just it's just really weird and sloppy. Mm. It's got, it, I have to say, it's got to be reused footage, I guess. Okay. Did you notice the big animation flub at the end? Uh, I'll take that as a no. Okay, I only <sighs> noticed this because I went back to check something. The, you know, the castle gets destroyed and we see the princess, the Justice League, uh, and a whole bunch of guards run out. And I thought to myself, what the hell happened to the king? Holy so, shit. Hold on, though, because I, I didn't know what was going on. But then I remembered I caught a glimpse of a soldier or a guard carrying someone over his shoulder. So I was like, oh, maybe that was the king. So I went back and I watched. Sure enough, the guy that's being carried is in like purplish pajamas, which is what the king was in. So he's carrying them out. Okay, so they did a good job. But what they did was, they I think they caught it that the king wasn't brought out of the castle. Like when they first, you know, did like an early viewing of it before they, you know, sent it out to air. Mm-hmm. Because if you notice, late, we don't see the king. I mean, when they all jump into the ditch, the king isn't down there. Right. So I really think they added him in just to these few frames. And again, I'm going to get to why. And then they're like, well, we can't, we don't have time to add him into these other scenes. So that's just going to have to do good enough. So here's how I know they added it in. Okay. The soldier, he's carrying the king like on his, what would be, uh, as he's running towards us, the right shoulder, but his left. Okay. So he's got his arm under the king with his hand wrapped around in the back, as you would if you were going to carry someone like that. Then, if you pause it at just the right moment, and I was able to do it several times, so it wasn't just a fluke that I caught this, it, like, you can still see the hand, un, like, holding the king as if the arm's still underneath, but now his arm is actually over, like, his arm and another hand, a third hand, is over the back of the king as if he was just doing a running motion, like he was swinging his arms, the fuck? And it wasn't, it, it's, it really wasn't a case of, you know, sometimes if you pause, like, a uh, cartoon, you can see, you can almost see two frames at once. So yeah. it might look like someone had a third hand. That's not what happened here. Both are fully animated. There's no, like, uh, static around the edges. None of the, it's not, like, transparent or something. As if I, again, caught two frames at the same time. You know, uh, yeah, pause it at just the right second, got two frames at the same time or whatever. No, no. This is clearly, they animated the king in and they forgot to... They they just screwed up the guy's arms as he got closer to the screen. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, did not notice that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that is that's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Batman has a couple of great little moments besides the very end there with uh, Diana. He uh, he smiles after Diana takes off and says, "You coming?" 
And uh, he's like, not yet. <laughs> I actually wasn't going for that, but good job. Yeah, I'm <laughs> um, always going for that. The other one was uh, when he confronts Savage in the in the basement of the castle, and he just he starts running towards him with a chair in his hand. And he yeah. says, you're in, "You're in my way," and he just smacks him in the face with the chair and throws him over his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> You're in my way. Yeah. <laughs> While we're talking about Savage, why is he still a prince if he just married into the royal family and his wife's the queen? I don't know much about, like, you know, royal families and whatnot, so if we can get anybody that does know to write in, that, that'd be great, because I didn't get it. They called him the prince? Yeah. They said for the first time presenting Queen, what was it, Audrey, right? Yeah, Queen Audrey and Prince um, Vandal Savage. Yeah, that's a, that's a flub. It should be definitely it should be king. I I think so, but maybe because the king's still technically alive, there can't be two. Like he hasn't truly ascended to the throne yet. I don't I don't know. I really don't know. I do have another gripe with this episode. The asteroid that was meant to level Paris, France, when it hits Casnia, all it does is take out the castle. Yep. Uh, what? Huh? <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe Savage was just going to take out the Eiffel Tower, because when you're a bad guy in a something like this, that's what you do. You take out the landmarks. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's not what he says, though. He says he's going to take out Paris. Yeah, he's like, that's a shame. I really enjoyed Paris. Yeah. And, and he's going to destroy the whole city. Right. But just the castle's taken out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, it's isolated. It's not like there's towns around it. But there's no indication, no indication is given that, you know, the the the, the area outside of the crater was going to be so huge that it would be the size of Paris. No. No, that was a big flub on their part. The Guardians will be wise to step aside. A new order to the universe is coming. One that will be written in fire and with the blood of all who oppose me. You would be wise to join me. I don't know what you're selling, but I'm not buying. What you want is irrelevant. The only will that matters is mine. The one true voice of the flame of Pytar. Such was bestowed upon me in the time of before. I was but a simple peasant, cast out because of my deformity. Alone and forlorn, I wandered in the wasteland, guided by an unknown hand of fate. When I was set upon by a gang of thieves bent on taking what little I had, that the ultimate truth was revealed to me. Before the thieves could flee, the ground split asunder. A great flame shot forth and destroyed my assailants. Spared. My third eye opened and the flame spoke to me in a voice only I could hear. 
You told me of a time when Kalinor would become a paradise. Pytar charged me with the honor of leading my world to greatness and spreading its light across the galaxy. Next up is Hearts and Minds. Ah. Yay. Oh, God. So, okay. <laughs> oh, there was just And, an and folks, <laughs> I know I said on the forums I was going to be drinking. I No, sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to suffer through this like I have so many other bad episodes before. Yeah. Completely yeah. stone sober. <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a little bit of an edit, I should say, in between the, the two synopsis, uh, the two, you know, the previous thing we just spoke about in this one, because I was telling James, I can't remember what happens in this. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm thinking, okay, it starts out with a slew of Green Lanterns, uh, what's her name, Kat Matui, yeah. Kilowog, Abe Lincoln guy, and Ping Pong Ball guy, and they're all... You know they're 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 being fired upon by just ships and lasers and soldiers, and uh, the the Green Lanterns have to back themselves into a cave and they're really fucked, and uh, they're trying to hold off this this oncoming army and they're not doing a good job because it's four against hundreds if not thousands and uh, so uh, you know it turns out that uh, Kat Matui she's in charge of this little party here and. Uh, what is it? But Ping Pong Ball and Abe Lincoln, they decide just to leave and say, fuck it, we're not listening to you, right? Yes. They fly up out of the cave and they instantly get disintegrated by some beam. But aren't they in The Return? Aren't they part of that big Green Lantern standoff? Ping Pong Ball and Abe Lincoln? You know, I don't remember. I'm 99% sure they're there, but... I, I... I'm leaning towards yes also. So, so I, don't I, I don't know if before then we somehow get a miraculous return and an explanation of the return of them. I don't know. But anyways, they're seemingly <laughs> killed. Um, uh, so Kilowog and Kepatui, they're trying to hold off this army. It's not happening. She says, look, um, one of us has to get out of here and uh, warn the Guardians or someone what's going on here. Uh, so she orders Kilowog to fly away, who very reluctantly does so. Just as he gets away, but before he like zips off into hyperspace, uh, he sees some sort of explosion, and it's just assumed that she has died. Kilowog then ends up falling to Earth, of all places, uh, lands in like a mountain or something, and uh, the Justice League, they go find him. They're all freaked out because it's fucking Kilowog, you know, you know, like real badass Green Lantern just got taken out by something. Uh, John, he tries to then go find Camp Matui because Kilowog gives him, I think he tells him sort of what was going on. Uh, the Justice League, though, they stay behind. And uh, does Hawkgirl follow John? No, no, she stays behind. Okay, okay, that comes later then, okay. So the League, they take uh, Kilowog back to the satellite and they're trying to patch him back up. You know, he wakes up. Turns out he and Flash have some sort of relationship. They're all buddy-buddy. You know, the buddy comedy of Flash and Kilowog. Um, I really don't remember what happens there. John goes off to the planet where, you know, the Green Lanterns got uh, destroyed. And uh, he's looking for, for Kent Matui because it turns out she was his old mentor and also his old lover, we find out. He uses his ring to track down her ring, but she's not wearing it. And then he finds out that there's this evil guy by the name of Despero. Uh, sorry if I slip into calling him Despero, but yes, I know it's Despero. <laughs> um, uh, running this place, and you know it seems like he's got everybody in some sort of trance. Uh, John goes to confront him, and have I skipped anything? Not really. Uh, well, he doesn't 
go to confront him, he gets captured by Sokar. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, okay. So okay, so he gets captured, and he's brought before uh, Despero, and Despero is all like, "Blah blah blah, I'm killing you." So. Uh, uh, but he throws him down a bunch of steps first, and uh, you know he zaps John too because that that comes back into play. And when John looks up, he's standing at the feet of Slave Leia. I mean, sla- Slave Cat Matui. Uh, <laughs> she then, uh, you know, with with Despero, Despero. she then with Despero. Um, takes... Is this going to be like Francis Epstein? <laughs> I think so. Two. Yeah, <laughs> they 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 take him to this giant flame pity thing and that this white flame and they throw him in it and it, was that the cliffhanger or do we see John survive? No, that wasn't the cliffhanger. He he's pulled in by that uh, right. matter okay. sport thing. I, I didn't know if that happened in this one or the next, but yeah, he gets uh, teleported basically um, out of the way, and um, we find out there's a resistance. W- where does this one end? Yeah, they show the resistance, and Katma and John are are reunited, but she punches mm. him in the face because she's undercover, and Katma explains that uh, Shiflet, the wise old guy rescued her and helped her get into the palace somehow as a, as in disguise as a priestess. And uh, they know that Despero is raising some massive army for something, but they don't know what the plans are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, John and Cat kiss. And the end is, I think it's just Despero. Sending, empower- no, he, doesn't he send a whole bunch of, like, like super-powered yeah. troops into space? Exactly. He empowers them. Conquer himself. the cosmos. Isn't here where we get the origin of him too, of uh, D- Despero? Yes, yeah, because that when uh, John is brought, f- yeah, uh, for him, he explains he how he looks. Yeah, of course he, yeah, of course he ba- does. He's the expositional villain. Yeah, I mean, basically, he had a third eye, so he's a freak. Got thrown out into the desert. He's got about to get killed. The Earth opened up. He got empowered by this flamey thing, and then he came back looking like that pink guy from Dragon Ball Z. Um, pink the, guy. He, he looked more like... If you're talking about Dragon Ball Z, he looked like Piccolo. <laughs> okay, maybe dressed, that's who I'm thinking of. He was dressed like Piccolo. Which one's Piccolo? The green... Uh, the Namek green guy. Oh, okay, that's who I was thinking of. I was... I, but I was... For some reason, I thought he was pink. What's his name? Um, maybe you're thinking of Majin Buu. Buu, yeah, that guy. For some reason, I was thinking about him. But yeah, he comes back looking like a Dragon Ball Z guy, and he uses his <laughs> third eye to, like, just take over the planet or whatever. I don't fucking know. You know. So, yeah, basically yeah, it just that. blows and everybody bows before him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much so. So what are you thinking here? I've made my feelings on this episode known uh, quite well over on the forums already. This, I, I, I can't stand this episode. It's, it's one of those episodes that just does not need to be two episodes. It's basically one emo kid versus another. Mm-hmm. Because Despero... It, he he explains in his story about how he was thrown into the desert. He comes back and and when he gets these powers, he's like, "Feel the power of my hate, yeah. my rage!" <laughs> oh my god! Now he's, I will say gonna, I, from now on we're going to call him Rar Sparrow. <laughs> Desperar. Yeah, there you go. That said, Keith David's voice acting was great. Yeah, he, he's is. a really, really good voice actor. I can't yeah. take that away from him. And but who is he? Because I know I recognize that voice. I'm trying to remember who else he was. He's done several yeah. things in the you I want to say. Was he the narrator? Or not the narrator, but yeah, the narrator 
or the source of the center, whatever it was called, in New Frontier. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's where I thought I recognized. I knew it was either that or the Martian in New Frontier. And I want to say, I think he was in Gargoyles, too, the cartoon. I could see why you'd say that. Yeah, he has the right kind of voice for that, sure. Yeah, he's a great voice actor, so I, I just, I wish he hadn't been stuck to such a shitty character. And, you know, an explanation of how Kilog was fine when he left the Kalinor planet and then arrived on Earth in such bad shape would have been kind of nice, you know? Yeah, I mean, sure, you could maybe assume a ship or three gave chase, but they don't give any indication of that. You know, how hard would it have been to put in a ship chasing them down? What are you thinking here? You know, I didn't take a lot of notes with this one. In truth, I didn't take a lot of notes this week in general. Okay, I saw your post at the forum. I, I don't think I've seen this one before. So when I saw your post at the forum, I was like, oh, man, there's a really shitty one coming up. I don't know. So I was sort of tainted. But then when I sat down and started watching it, I'm like, this is starting pretty cool with the Green Lanterns. What was James complaining about? And then we get to John being on this planet and the whole Despero thing. And then I was like, oh, my God, I don't care. Really, any points this uh, story gets from me they're going to be coming from like the first few minutes with the green lantern. <laughs> yes. That's probably That was it. that was one epically awesome fight. I have to it give it that. It really is because I mean, a green lantern can take on almost anything. So four of them, you're thinking, "Oh, they'll have no problem." No, they're getting trashed. It's really cool. And I know it was stupid and silly compared to the rest of the episode, and it wasn't needed to lighten up the episode, I don't think. But I did like the <laughs> Flash's interaction with John's landlord. Mm-hmm. Like the little old lady just chasing him around with the broom, calling him weirdos. Oriental lady. She's just like, yeah. what are you doing here? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really bad. The, the voice. Why are you thing. in this clothes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Think it's a, they stole John, the, the Kilowog stole John's outfit. But like what I liked the most about that scene is when they're leaving, Flash says, nice meeting you, ma'am. If we ever need a replacement for Hawk Girl. And then he just runs away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's good stuff. So, it's, I, I like Kilowog eating the old yellow tape and saying, delicious, yeah, after just, he ate the ice cream. He's like, delicious. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like the best parts of this episode have nothing to do with John. I was going to say it has nothing to do with the Green Lanterns, but the intro, you know, that's so badass, you know. But it, it, it really has nothing to do with, like, anything that takes place after, like, the 10-minute mark, you know. <laughs> Maybe this episode should have just been, like, I don't know, a, a fifth of an episode. <laughs> Something, yeah. And when I was watching this, it started dawning on me that Kat Matui looked a lot like Sinestro. So I started wondering, like, is she Sinestro's daughter? But then I looked it up, and it's just that they're from the same planet. But her animation, her model was very weird because it fluctuated. When she's in her Green Lantern attire in the beginning, she looks kind of, you know, fit. Like, she's, she does work out a lot. Yeah. Uh, but when she's in the Leia slave outfit, she looks, well, like me, <laughs> rail thin. It looks like I could take, like, my hand and just, like, wrap it around her waist and pick her up like a sword with her hips being the hilt. You know, I like that hourglass shape, but it looked really weird on her. And then when she's walking towards John, once it's revealed that she 
isn't under you know some evil control that she is part of the resistance the way she's swaying her hips is so over exaggerated i mean i yes. know these two have a sexual past sexual excuse me past and that's what they were trying to show by having her walk at john like that but they're usually a lot more smooth and not herky-jerky and way over the top with uh, feminine hip movement, sultry feminine hip movement, I should say, in the DCAU. What else do you want to say about this first part? I mean, I, I don't have any more notes on it. I can't think of anything else to say, but I know you hate it, so if you want to go off, please go. It's more like what you said. I'm, I'm apathetic towards oh, it. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I just don't care. It, it, it's, it's an episode that I absolutely skip over any time I put the, the Justice League DVDs in. And I do like, in the second episode, I'm getting a, jumping ahead a little bit here, but I do like the further interactions with Hawkgirl and John. Yeah. Always nice, always nice. But And there's the fight at the beginning, but other than that, it's just... It's terrible. It, yeah. it, it's the the dialogue is bad. The character of Despero is utterly atrocious. He's, you know, I I, I hate it on Mongol, mm -hmm. but I'm sorry, Despero is even worse. So, so, do you think this is worse than Warworld? Um, no, I don't. Okay, because I was going to say, I mean, if you think it's that bad, I was really going to disagree with you. I mean, it's this isn't great, but it's not Warworld. <laughs> no, see, yeah, I. I'm more apathetic towards this one. Okay, I, I just wanted to be utterly, clear. Utterly despised Warworld. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like, just get it over with. <laughs> I'm ready to jump to episode two if you are. Okay, sure. So uh, in this one, this one starts off with um, something colorful and bright and animated. Um, how does this one start? <laughs> Do we start seeing the battles in space? Is that how this one starts? John, I think, says... That they're gonna, he's gonna mobilize the Green Lantern Corps and go to Oa, but this is where one of the, the, I think the task force breaches their base and then they have to jump into action. And it's here where John finds out that he can't use his ring. Right. Yeah. Because when uh, Despero shot him with his third eye, that sounds kind of perverted. <laughs> Anyways, when he shot him with that, he. He didn't possess John, but he did sort of fuck with his willpower or something. I don't know what. But, uh, yeah, so the group's able to get away from this attack. Um, John actually has to pick up a gun, um, a laser gun, to try to shoot these uh, the, this oncoming force. Uh, but they do eventually get away. And uh, John, he's then like, is the ring broken? And Kit Matui's all like, no, the ring doesn't break. It's the person, the wearer, who breaks. And she's like, you know, this is where John realizes uh, his head's been fucked with. And uh, she's like, look, you know, I'm taking you back to basic. I have to retrain you how to use this ring. And he's all like, I don't want to do it. And she's like, well, you're going to or you're going to die. And uh, Hawkgirl sort of oversees their interactions. And it's very clear that she's jealous. She's bothered by the fact that an old flame is back in John's life. I guess there are scenes of Despero rallying the troops and saying, yeah, I want to bring about peace by destroying everybody or whatever. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> so what happens? I mean, they're, they're going to try to um, storm the Citadel, but it turns out one of the members of the Resistance is like, you know, we're going to die. So he goes to Despero and he's all like, yeah, they're, they're coming for you. So like... 
you know, just be aware of that. And uh, Despero's like, well, why'd you change sides? And he said pretty much what I just said. I want to be on the winning side. So they end up attacking. They go after the resistance, right? Yeah, they do. Hawkgirl and John, they have the, they have this little scene where he's putting on just like tons of gun and grenade belts. And she's he like, looks like a Rob Liefeld character. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He really does. My God. Yeah. And uh, what does Hawkgirl say to him? I I, I don't even remember. Well, but... John's like, John is, you know, going emo kid here and saying, yeah. I'm, I'm more than just a, a guy with a ring. And, and Hawkgirl's like, I've always known that, John. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's this big fight. And our three lead characters here, the two Green Lanterns and Hawkgirl, uh, they all get captured, and we see them sort of crucified-ish um, by, in, like, some super sci-fi chamber, and they're in stasis fields, and, you know, Despero, he walks up to Cat Matui, and he starts fucking with her, um, and then he goes over to Hawkgirl, and he really starts messing with her head, and you could see John's getting pissed, and this is the moment where... John realizes that he loves Hawkgirl because through the stasis field, through his lack of willpower, he musters up enough strength, enough willpower to summon his ring to his hand, uh, uses it to break free, frees Hawkgirl too, and uh, he and Despero have a huge just throwdown. Uh, in the meantime, the Martian Manhunter and Flash and maybe I'm forgetting someone. Kilowog. Kilowog, yeah. They're all talking, and John's trying to decipher some, uh, what do you call it, some hieroglyphics. This is earlier in the episode. And this tree and this flame keeps popping up, and uh, they they realize that this flame and this tree must be important, but they don't know entirely what it means. But they figure out that the flame is actually probably like coming from the core of the planet or something. So, the pie tar. Yeah, the pie tar. Oh, God, I got tired of that word. I completely blocked it from my memory. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. No problem. Yeah, so John and the Flash and Kilowog, I think, yeah, they, they go to the flame and John, like, interacts with it because he realizes it's sentient because they're going to blow it up. They think that if they drop, like, some copper bomb. Well, Katma explains earlier that the, the flame is a nuclear plasma reaction right. and a carbon bomb. Carbon. Right? I said copper. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't, we can't do this. He, so he interacts with it. When he comes up, uh, this being is able to use John's psychic powers to tell, like, everybody on the planet that Despero has been, you know, this this flame is meant for peace, and he's been using it for his own emo ways. <laughs> there, They all bow to this flame, and this big tree grows out of it, so there's the tree from the hieroglyphics. The, the ecosystem is starting to be restored because it's a desert planet, planet, but we find out that it used to have a really lush green forest, But so that starts to come back. During the fight, Despero's, the flame that's around him goes out, um, he's like, oh no, Pytar has forsaken me, why? So um, as he's like flipping out about this, uh, a root comes up out of the ground, grabs him, uh, ensnares him actually, and he's uh, like, oh, you're embracing me, Pytar, yay! And he gets dragged into the ground and killed. Uh, what happens from there? I don't even know. The, the, the world's being returned to normal. The Justice League, they're all looking around. Uh, uh, What's-her-face, Kat Matui, says to John, you know, we have to rebuild this world. Uh, why don't you stay and help me? And uh, I forget John's exact words, but he says no, and it's clear he's saying no because of Hawkgirl, because he wants to be with her and not Kat Matui. So uh, they all get into a green bubble, because uh, I think the javelin was destroyed or something. I don't even remember how they got there. What, the, 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 how'd they get there? The javelin? Well, that's the thing. It, 
when Hawk Girl, Jean, and the Flash show up, they just kind of fly out of the sky. There's no really t- no telling of how they got there. <laughs> okay. So if they were in a chaplain, they left it there. Yeah, yeah. But they all get in a green bubble and they're going away. And, uh, you know, Flash is tired as all get out. So he sits down. John begins to meditate, leaving the other two just have a quiet moment. And uh, what does Hawk Girl ask John? She she says something to him, and then he responds, and they're basically telling each other they love each other, but I don't remember what was said there. I forget exactly what Heart Girl says, but uh, John says that... Oh, no, that's what Heart Girl says. Uh, she says that, that uh, she was some, some woman, huh? And he's like, yeah, good teacher, too. But some things can't be taught. You know, some things people only get through experience, and then she asks him what, and he says, clarity. Mm, that's it, that's it, yeah. And she kind of blushes. I mean, we don't see her blush, but you know she's blushing. And, uh, you know, she kind of looks ahead. And uh, that's where this one ends. So, yeah. Well, okay, there's Kyle Rayner references. We get to see the evolution of John because, you know, he didn't want to use a gun in the World War II episode, but now he's like, well, if my ring goes out, I have to do what I have to do. So there's some evolution there. Or it's simply that whole, we can't use guns on humans, but we can use guns on alien syndrome. It's one of the two. I'd like to think that it's, you know, uh, character development. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, got a Yoda reference. Got it. I guess that's good. Yeah. Uh, the impotent, impotent joke was probably in this one. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, and the episode ended. So there was that yeah. too. Awesome. <laughs> And there was some good animation with the, the Despero John fight. I had some problems with the animation all around in this story. Um, well, yeah, I, I did too. But I in the fight just between GL and uh, Despero with the beams going everywhere, that was pretty fucking cool, actually. Okay, okay. Um, oh, I'll throw one more good thing in there. We've had our robot counts, our dumpster counts, our great hair accounts... With the the two stories that we've covered so far, we can officially start the ass smack count. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, when Audrey was taking a picture with that guy, she pinched or smacked his ass. And over in this one, Hawk Girl smacks John's ass when she tells him to actually shut up and go do the training with Cat Matui. So uh-huh. we officially have the ass smack count. <laughs> And this, I mean, we're actually, I'm saying two, but I, I know we've had some before this. We didn't, uh, not Hugh Hefner smack Wonder Woman's ass? No, it was uh, Light Ray smacking Wonder Woman's oh, ass. Oh, that's what the, it was. Yeah, okay. Light, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, we, we have at least the three on that scale. <laughs> <laughs> um, good or bad, what are you thinking? What else are you thinking about this one? I, I, I've said most of my notes already just joking around here. <laughs> That's, that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. I do have another one. The, the scene where all the soldiers just start turning into trees, it, it was like I was watching a Hayao Miyazaki movie. It oh, was like, yeah, that was kind of trippy. Yeah. yeah. It, it seriously was like spirited away or something, <laughs> or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Very Miyazaki-esque, I think. Yeah, because I find it interesting that I think we're supposed to assume that everybody on the planet was like accepted the, you know, uh, pie tar. I keep wanting to say pie chart. Earlier, I almost said des. I, what was I? I almost missed Despero and Sinestro. I think it was like Despinestro. I don't know, but I stopped. My, <laughs> I, I like caught myself before I started saying that, it. That's 
that's the Spanish, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, just amalgamation of the two. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think we're supposed to assume that everybody on the planet, like, accepted him or it and was okay. But, like, everybody in space wasn't even given a chance. Nope. It was just like, oh, you know what? Trees! <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. You know, I also question, but I do question them being able to grow into trees with fully green leaves without oxygen. Yeah, <laughs> whatever how about that? the Flash survived, there's apparently oxygen in space in the DCAU. You punch a computer, yeah. it explodes, and there's oxygen in space, you it's know? It's the magic flamey flame <laughs> yeah. that, that made them... Uh survive there you have the power of the pie chart yeah yeah i mean i'm I'm messing about with the whole oh they couldn't be green trees thing because you're right it's all magical i just i just had to say it you know <laughs> i think i like or rather dislike both of these parts equally mm. i just i the first episode had the awesome opening and nothing else and this episode had the awesome gl mm. hawk girl interactions and and that fight and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Just utterly, utterly forgettable episode all it around. Is. It is. And like I said earlier, I, I, I don't think I've seen this one before. And if I have, that tells you how forgettable it is right there. I think you told, you told me a while back that you hadn't seen this one. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I hadn't. Uh, what else was I going to bring up? Oh, okay. So wait, in the first part, Flash and Kilowog went to GL's apartment to get GL's lantern because Kilowog's uh, ring was running low so he could charge his with John's battery. Okay. But he brings the battery with him. But we never see him give it back to John. And I, I don't think you can claim oh, they had a moment off screen where he gave it back to him because were they ever together off screen? Weren't they always separate? Did they ever actually get together? They were on screen together, but anytime they were it was generally in the middle of a battle <laughs> okay well then was there any point where it could have been implied that they spent time together off screen not implicitly but okay maybe he gave it back to him then but it just seemed weird that they were introducing the power battery if, as if it was going to become a plot point and then it doesn't and it's just completely forgotten about i mean maybe i'm nitpicking the when did he give it back to him thing okay i'll say that but you know why was it even really brought up it, it seemed like it was just added to give that humorous few minutes in the apartment. That's pretty much all it was. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's a great filler. scene, but right there, you just use the word filler. It goes back to something I said in the first part. It, this is not a two-part episode. Yeah. It doesn't have nearly enough substance to be a two-part episode. It's sad. Yeah. Their world's the mess ours used to be. Too bad we can't help them. Who says we can't? You've been a busy little bat, haven't you? What else is there to do around here anymore? This can take us into that other dimension. If we decide to use it. Why wouldn't we? You're talking about helping them. But would they accept it? Our kind of help. And lastly up today is A Better World. This one opens up with President <laughs> Luthor frantically shuffling papers at his Oval Office desk and rambling on about some crisis being the people's fault, Superman busts in and says that he's taking Luthor in for his crimes. 
Luthor says, you're a fool. You've been my greatest accomplice over the years. You've enjoyed playing the hero so much that you just take you just take me in, and every time I get out, and, and you do this all the time instead of having the guts to end it once and for all. And Luthor opens up his desk drawer, and he says that the people will burn for their mistake. And he prepares to press the red button, the one that will plunge the world into nuclear war. Because, I mean, he figures, what what's he got to lose now? Superman, and he says, look, Superman can't stop him without using deadly force. So Superman just resigned, says, look, if, if this is what being a hero has come to, I'm through with it. And his eyes glow red. So we cut to Diana and Batman, who are elsewhere in the White House and have been fighting with the Secret Service. They meet up in a hallway, and Batman pauses for a second, and he says, do you smell something? And Diana just looks upward and has this horrified look on her face. And they race towards the Oval Office uh, office, <laughs> office, and see that Superman has incinerated Luthor. And Batman stands for a second and says, it had to be done. Diana walks up to Superman, who's just looking out the window, and asks if he's okay. And Superman surprisingly says, I'm great. That's where the credits roll. And actually, the credits... I mean, before before we get the opening title card and everything, uh, it, it actually kind of the scene kind of ends in a way that an episode normally ends. Mm-hmm. It's just fading out. It's really creepy, actually. Yeah. But after the title roll, we get we fast forward two years where the Justice Lords have effectively become the ruling class of the entire world, and it's here where they reveal that it was Flash's death, which was caused by Luthor in some way. That was the catalyst for all of this. And uh, the Watchtower is now heavily armored, and the League denies the President of the United States permission to have an election held. And we go down to Smallville, where there's a protest arising, and Hawkgirl and GL fly down, and the crowd disperses almost immediately out of fear. Batman, meanwhile, is in the cave working on a project, but they don't know what it is yet. Uh, Superman and Lois have what could loosely be called a date <laughs> where Lois is arguing about how fascist the heroes have become and how free speech is dead, but Superman doesn't seem to care. So at this point, Batman calls Superman and tells him and all the rest of the heroes to gather at the Batcave because he has to show them something. He's showing them footage of the Justice League of our reality fighting Luthor again, and the uh, Justice Lord Batman notes that their Flash is still alive, and their Superman says, well, so is their Luthor. Hmm. And they also call themselves the Justice League, and not the Justice Lords. Uh, so the Batman guy says that they can help their world with the transdimensional gateway thing in the Batcave. And so the Justice Lords, uh, Martian Manhunter, travels through after Flash defeats Luthor in our reality, and... The Martian Manhunter lies about why he's there in order to trick them into going through the portal. And the League is captured, and Justice League's Hawkgirl is seriously injured in the process because uh, their Green Lantern just blasts her. Meanwhile, back in our world, a meteor crashes to Earth, and from it bursts forth none other than Doomsday. And he starts beginning a rampage, and the Justice Lords, minus their Batman, travel through a portal to take him on. Justice Lord Superman has a very lengthy battle with him, as you know you would expect. And uh, finally, Doomsday does get the upper hand, and he's about to finish him off, but super, uh, the, the evil Superman takes it upon himself to use his heat vision to lobotomize him. And Lois runs up after this is all done, 
uh, with several reporters, and she notes the makeshift lobotomy and says, it's, it's just so out of character for you. What were you doing? Luthor, meanwhile, is watching all of this in prison, and he knows immediately that it isn't the real Superman or the real Justice League. It's and that's not them. Yep. I love that line. This is another one I don't think I've seen before. Really? None of this was ringing a bell. I'm surprised. I figured you might have seen this one at some point. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, later on in JLU, do we see the Lords again, or are they just mentioned? No, they come back as clones created by Brainiac Luthor. Okay, okay. But I know they're mentioned several times. Yeah, that's why I figured you'd seen this. Yeah, no, anytime they were mentioned, I was like, what JLU episode did they appear in? I So I kept thinking JLU, not Justice League. So, yeah, I've ne- I really don't think I've seen this one. And I gotta tell you, I'm not impressed. Really? I really am not seeing the hype behind... I'm talking about the story as a whole, not just this first part. I think it gets by on its pretty looks, so to speak. That we have this really cool-looking ju- you know, team of Justice Lords. I'll absolutely give it that. I love every single design, especially Batman. But even above Batman, I love that Hawkgirl design. That is such a killer Hawkgirl. Awesome. But... I think it really gets by on that. It's Doomsday just appears out of nowhere for no good goddamn reason, except to have Superman, you know, the other world Superman, lobotomize him. That's really it uh, to set up something that happens in the second story. To be fair, it does set up something that they 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 explain in JLU. Right, but that's the thing that remember when they were when they wrote this though, they didn't have JLU in mind. So it's not like they wrote this to set that up. They just threw it in here just as a plot point later on. And to do that with Doomsday is is just off. I mean, it would have been so much more chilling if it had been the Joker or some, uh, like, Two-Face. I don't know why Superman would tussle with Two-Face, but I could see him tussling with the Joker. He already has. It's just some villain that would have made more sense that we had more of an attachment to than just randomly appearing Doomsday. I don't think the hook in the beginning, I mean, it's cool. Like, oh my God, Superman fried Luthor. But right from the get-go, you know it's not our reality. So there's really no suspense. Because even if you don't know he's in the White House, you could tell that's not Luthor's office. It very clearly looks like a political office. It really does look like the Oval Office. So you should surmise that it's the White House. So there's really no shocker that it's another world and i mean why does this other batman have a gateway just randomly has a gateway just randomly decides i'm gonna look at this other world why would they go why would they even think to go help them when they're still trying to take care of their world so that's that made no sense to me kidnapping the justice league to help him instead of talking to them and saying hey these are our ways that made no sense the more I talk about it, the, the angrier I am. It get, I, I'm getting at it from top to bottom. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not. It's not War World. It's not Hearts and Minds. It's. It's just. I. It's just not great. It's average at best. I really feel that hate mail can be sent to. <laughs> you say I'm surprised at your thoughts is quite an understatement. I, I wow. knew we'd be completely at different ends of the spectrum on this one. Which is fine, of course. Which it doesn't happen very often. So. Oh, you know what? That, that's true. That's true. Let me let me let me throw another. You know, I do want to throw a positive out there. Okay, I like the uniformity of the Justice Lords belts. 
where they don't have a uniform, you know, a uniform costume, but all their belts are the same. Where it comes around, and then it's then there's no belt, and then there's that little belt, just free floating belt buckle in the middle. Because you know you really can't give the Justice League a uniform. They're not like the old school X Men, but you could give them uniformity in small ways, and they did that there. That was really cool. I think part of the reason I like this so much, this episode so much, is because it's one of the most pivotal, important in all of the DCAU. Maybe the most important since Ghost in the Machine, because A, this provides Luthor's motivation to run for president, mm-hmm. and B, the Lord's actions and rampage are a major catalyst for Project Cadmus being mm-hmm. formed. But so, again, you're looking at it with hindsight. It's true. Whereas I, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm trying to I'm trying to get past my hindsight and just look at it on its own, not three years or whatever before JLU premiered where they were like oh we could pull from there and there and there and there because again they weren't setting it up they just went back and mined the well well when we reviewed ghost in the machine all those god knows how many months ago and months ago did we overgrade that looking into the in the future probably because i mean i mean that's where <laughs> brainiac blasts luthor and you're like well how did he survive that yeah i mean I, I, we, we maybe took that into account we probably did it seems to ring a bell you know, in retrospect, I don't think that was entirely fair because, again, they weren't intending to set that up. You know, right. they were just like, oh, shit, how did Luthor survive? Oh, he was supposed to survive. So, you know, they went back and retconned something there. And here, yeah, like I said, they're mining the well. So, like I said, I, I, I get what you're doing. I, I appreciate it. But I, I, I'm just trying not to do it. You know, I'm trying to look at it on its own. You're right. You're you're right, though, because you, you have to look at this like... You just saw it yesterday for the first right. time. Or Which I did. <laughs> so. <laughs> but again, you know, I, I do agree with you. I mean, even if you take away that stuff that they would do in Justice League Unlimited, you know, there's more John Hawkgirl stuff going on here. I mean, the Justice Lord John and Hawkgirl are already a couple. And later As on... As I mentioned, sleeping together. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. You know, what is, what is it? It's like, do I, I think he says, do I still, or like, what, something about snoring. Or I don't know if I still snore. No, that was in the previous episode, actually. Justice League Hawk, or Justice Lord Hawk Girl says that, do, do you sleep better at night? And he just says, you know I do. Yeah, so, and Hawk Girl ends up in the hospital, and I don't remember if it's the first or second part. I think it's the second. John's all pissed off at the way she's been brutalized. So again, they're setting that stuff up for the end of the season. And that, I'll say, yes, they absolutely knew what they were doing because they've been doing it all along. I'll give it that, but I just can't give it the other stuff. Okay, fair enough. I understand why you didn't like how Doomsday was introduced here, mm-hmm. but Michael Jai White is so fucking cool. I love his his voice for Doomsday, and that line where he's really, I guess it's one of his only lines there, where he's talking to Justice Lord Superman, and he says, you know, evil Superman is just like, what do you want? And he just says, same as you, I imagine, power, control, but I had to see the best this planet had to offer. I am not impressed. I love that line. I just love It's one of my just favorite overall badass lines Mm -hmm. in the DCAU lore. Yeah. I was surprised when Doomsday talked because I remember somehow I knew that Doomsday had been lobotomized. But I didn't know he could speak before that. I just thought something happened to him where he got lobotomized and that controlled his rampages. I didn't realize that actually, you know, he was 
an intelligent being and not just a wrecking ball, so to speak. Well, and, and again, I'm jumping forward here, but his him being a, an, an intelligent being comes into play with Bruce and, and Superman, like and Diana, like versus tension and growing distrust with the League and JLU. But again, that's looking into the future. Mm-hmm. I did like the homage to the death of Superman when mm-hmm. well, Superman and Doomsday punch each other and causes the massive shockwave. Yeah, I think there was something before that, too. There's a moment where Superman hits the asphalt, digs into it, and Lois comes running up to him. I'm pretty sure that was taken from, uh, what was that, Superman 75, I think. Here's one question, though, I do have. At the very, very end, right before Luthor says, it's not them, one of the reporters asks where the Flash is, and I say, why do you ask where he is? Batman isn't there either. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why? And why would you even ask that? Because the League is divided up all the time. Right. I love this episode, and I just sit back and watch it, you know, and take it in, and just understand its importance in the in the mythos of the entire DCAU. Yeah, and I don't want it to come across like, I'm all like, this sucks, or anything like that. It's just, you know, I, I really think even if it didn't have all the hype that it had behind it, like, we were just watching it, as if it literally just aired, and we still had everything forthcoming. We didn't know what that was. I still think I'd kind of be ho-hum about this one. Well, I think your best point that you brought up is, you know, why the, the lords just trap them and electrocute them yeah. and not talk to them. That's, you're, you make a great point there that I didn't even think about. They've only just found this reality. There's no indication that the League would be unreasonable to, you know, that they wouldn't sit down and listen to what the lords have to offer. They just decide, oh, we're going to trick them, trap them, and that's going to prove to them that we're good guys? I don't know. A lot of it doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Uh, Should we just jump into episode two? Absolutely. The Justice League awakens in their these holding cells designed specifically to neutralize their respective powers. Like Superman is in a red lamped room and so on and so forth. Our Batman simply asks the justice Lord Batman why. And he replies, because you all didn't have the guts to do what had to be done. Flash yells at, uh, at the Lord's Batman who says the last thing we want to do is lose another. And he walks off. Batman says, I think he likes you. <laughs> and Flash makes a sarcastic quip about him, his magnetic personality. And Batman says, more likely it has something to do with what happened to this world's Flash. Because something had to start all of this. And Flash is just like, I can't believe anybody would go that far over me. And Batman says, well, it's really not that far from what they do, if you th- or what we do, if you think about it. And Flash says, have you thought of a way out yet? Batman says, no, I'm, I'm not going to. So... Flash comes up with his own plan. And we go to the uh, Justice Lord Batcave, where uh, Justice Lord Batman is monitoring the League, uh, and he sees Flash's vital signs just going haywire until finally his heart rate flatlines. So he races down to unlatch Flash and revive him. Flash just punches him a few dozen times at uh, super speed before strapping him into the device. (laughs) And... uh, He says, you'll appreciate this someday, (laughs) as uh, Justice Lord Batman said to him earlier. He frees the real Batman, who asks him how he got out, and Flash just says, well, I sped up my heart rate until it looked like I flatlined. (laughs) Batman's like, I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) And Flash says, well, I didn't either. (laughs) But he had to do something. Um, So 
Batman says the Justice Lord Batman thought of everything he he could, but who could anticipate you, Flash? <laughs> yeah. Our Batman goes to the Batcave to find the dimensional portal while the rest of the league goes to find Hawkgirl. And they figure, well, since she's a bad guy, she must be in the bad guy hospital. And what better place for supervillains than Arkham Asylum? So they go there, and it's a very different place from the normal reality. Here, Arkham is covered with lush gardens and fresh coats of paint <laughs> and and a staff comprised totally of lobotomized Batman villains. <laughs> Joker actually uh, in, lets them in and is... He's just the orderly who shows them to Hot Girl's room, and he asks them for a password. And Jean reads his mind and and transports the information to Superman's brain, and says, and Superman says the password. But Joker says, "Yeah, yeah, that's the correct one." But Wonder Woman was supposed to say it, and so he activates the security. Let me let me just jump in here real quick, okay? I know everybody's all lobotomized, and they're all just sitting there drooling while watching TV, and. You know, the Joker's sane enough to be actually serving as an orderly. But I love the fact that he still has a childlike mischievousness. When he's like, well, Wonder Woman is supposed to say it, and then presses the button and runs off. That's something a little kid would do. It's like, if you could imagine little, like, little Joker, <laughs> like, that's probably how he was as a kid. <laughs> and then he became the Joker. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, Joker does trigger the security and outcome several Superman robots, robot alert. Um, And um, meanwhile, Batman is in the cave looking at the uh, trans-dimensional portal when his counterpart appears and flings a batarang at him. And they start stalking each other all over the cave and arguing over whose philosophy is better until finally Justice Lord Batman says, yes, well, we've made it so no eight-year-old boy will ever lose his parents to some punk with a gun. Hmm. So... Uh, real Batman steps into the light and simply says, you win. Hmm. Meanwhile, at Arkham, the League starts hurling these Superman robots all over the place in, frankly, a very, very funny battle. One of the robots actually says, violent behavior will not be tolerated, and it punches Superman in the face. And then it says, nor will a bad attitude, and he punches him again. Wonder Woman, uh, I think, knocks a head off of one, and it says, thanks! It's it's really, really funny, actually, I think. Justice Lord Batman says that uh, Batman's friends are all tearing up Arkham, and uh, Batman's like, well, well, maybe we should go stop them. And uh, on their way to Arkham, Batman uh, is driving the Batmobile, and he's like, I don't believe this is Gotham. Where's all the litter? And uh, Justice Lord Batman says, well, you know, you have to enforce the small laws, or nobody will take the bigger ones seriously. And Batman stops at a red light. <laughs> Yes, you heard me right. He stops at a red light. Um, we There's a sidewalk bistro, and a customer is arrested for disturbing the peace when he was completely in the right. All of his complaints were actually were true, and Batman says to Justice Lord Batman, you know, they'd love it here. And he's like, who? Mom and Dad? They'd be so proud of you. And Justice Lord Batman's just like, just drive. The League does rescue Hawkgirl, but the military has all gathered out front and uh, Justice Lord Batman swings in and takes custody of them, and he escorts them back to the cave, where he allows them to go back to uh, their reality. And uh, Batman says, after they cross over into the their old dimension, uh, he says, "Look, they're strong and smart as us, but they're willing to kill." And Superman says, "I'm not going to cross that line." Uh, but Batman says, "Look, we can't win unless we cross some kind of line." 
and uh, we go aboard the Watchtower. The Justice Lords who've taken command see that uh, Luthor has escaped and he's taken a hostage. And their hot girl tells uh, Superman, don't do it. They aren't ready. And Justice Lord Superman's like, okay, we'll play it your way for now. So they fly down, and Superman and the Justice Lords confront Luthor in the cell. Turns out, though, that it is our Jean in disguise, and they trap them in the same kind of electrical box thing that they trapped the League in earlier. And Justice Lord Hot Girl busts them out, and the battle ensues, and uh, Flash ends up taking on Justice Lord Superman, since our Superman is conspicuously absent from the fight. And he actually does hold his own. He, he flings fascist Superman into another building. When Flash runs down to the, the little building that he threw him through, he uh, Superman... Uh, throws a bookcase at him and just picks him up and prepares to finish him off. But Flash is like, you know, you, you can't do this. I, I'm the last piece of your conscience. It's the one thing you'll never do. Justice Lord Superman says, you know, I've done a lot of things I never thought I'd do over the last two years. One more won't hurt. So uh, suddenly the real Superman shows up on what's left of the roof with Luthor, uh, who has the device from earlier that the Justice League stopped him from activating he blasts uh, evil Superman with this thing, and he collapses in a heap, and then he does the same thing to the other four Justice Lords. And, and our Superman explains that uh, it's a power disruptor, and theirs are now gone. And Luthor is tempted to turn the weapon on uh, real Superman, but he relents and says, eh, a deal's a deal. Okay. Luthor is uh, revealed that he's getting a full pardon for his help, and Superman agrees, yeah, it's a tough choice, but it's better than the alternative. And uh, Flash and Superman share a word about Superman's temptations to do terrible things, but they end up with a couple of quips. And uh, the end of the episode is uh, Luthor at a press conference saying that the business world just isn't as challenging as it used to be, and there's no poetry in it either. But he has been giving thought to politics. Okay, before we say anything else about this episode, there's something I need to say that people are going to tell me I'm wrong, but... I'm not. 91939. I know on the commentary, Bruce Tim says that September 1939 is when Detective Comics number 27, the first appearance of Batman, was printed. Detective Comics 27 actually has a cover date of May 1939. So Bruce Tim, they might have put that in, put it in there as an homage, but they got it wrong. It should have been 51939. So I just needed to throw that out there at the front. I didn't want to get lost in the middle of all of our bantering about uh, this story here. So, you know, okay, with this one, I mean, it's got action going for it. That's great. You know what I mean? It's got really intense action. I love it. I like the fact that the League pulled the same stunt the Lords pulled and trapped him in a cage and then electrified him, and it was Hawkgirl. Our Hawkgirl couldn't get out. But their hawk girl could, you know, that would, I liked the mirroring, mirroring of that, but still just unimpressed as a whole. And for this half, though, it comes down to the fact that in the first half, the lords really are heroes. They have a hard edge about them, but they're still heroic. They're going to extremes, but they're getting the job done. Now, over here, all of them, except Batman, become murderous douchebags. And they're all just deciding that they're going to kill their counterparts? And Superman is going to kill the Flash in cold blood? Like, what? That just, that really gets under my skin. That they took, you know, they, if they could have developed these characters more, 
and showed that, look, we're just living in a shade of gray. But they didn't do that. They, they covered them in blood here. I guess I can't argue with that. But I think dialogue-wise, this is a really, really good script. Hmm. Uh, I, I love hearing Kevin Conroy essentially talk to himself in the cave. That was a great exchange. And even though, you know, Batman never gives up, it's still pretty fucking weird to hear him say, you win. Yeah. It's kind of cool, and you just, you just don't expect it. Here's a question I have, though. Is I, I find it kind of peculiar, I guess is the word I'll use, that they didn't show Hawkgirl waking up or anything at, in the episode. It's mm-hmm. like little kids watching this show would wonder, is Hawkgirl dead? Yeah, yeah. Because they never show her being revived or waking up or anything. It's like, maybe she, did she die? It's, what happened? Especially with the way John's holding her, the way she's is so yeah. limp. And the look on his face is if he's carrying away the body, you know, the corpse of a fallen comrade. It's, it, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. They couldn't have had just some throwaway little 15-second scene where she wakes up like in only a dream? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a ton of notes for this either, but okay. I, I I guess what I'll say is I'm, I can't argue with mo- most of the things you're saying. And, you know, and that you still like it, you know, that, you know, that, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be like, why do you still like it? I'm not asking you to dislike it. I just want to point out that a lot of this just doesn't make sense to me. That's all I'm trying to do here. But I got to throw a few more things out there that kind of make me scratch my head and go, wait, what? Okay. So how did the cops... In the, I'm trying to think which reality it was. It would have been in the alternate reality, know that the League wasn't the Lords. They just knew. Like, when the Lords captured the League, did they send a message out to all the world police and military saying, oh, we brought our duplicates over here, and in case they get out, you should be on alert that it's not us? What was going on there? Like, oh, you you look like our heroes, but... You're not because you haven't worn those costumes in two years. What? I don't. Are you talking about when they mobilize outside Arkham? Maybe that was. I thought there was something else though. Maybe it was about the Lords in our reality. No, that wouldn't have made sense. Yeah, I don't know. There was something about it where I was like, wait, how would the cops of the world? And I didn't write down which world. <laughs> know that these are fakes, and I. Yeah, I don't know. I guess because they're just trashing Arkham. I don't know. I don't know, something something didn't seem right to me. Oh, I think it was it had something to do with the line of dialogue. Where one of the I think someone said it's it's one of them or it's one of the fakes or something like that, implying that they knew that it wasn't the, the heroes from their I reality. Think I, the lieutenant of the armed forces yeah. the, that was mobilized outside of Arkham uh-huh. said when Justice Lord Batman swoops in he says, hold it, these are my prisoners, and I'm taking custody over them, or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And the lieutenant says, well, you're in the right costume, but how do I know for sure? That, and then just yeah. Batman's just like, are you questioning my authority, lieutenant? Right, yeah, that's he, the moment right there. How do they, yeah. like, how does he know to say you're in the right costume? I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on there. I always assume it's just like, okay, well, you got the four heroes tearing... Arkham all to pieces and Flash is there and they know Flash shouldn't be there because he's dead mm-hmm. uh, and so it stands to reason that these are not the 
they're quote they're good guys, you know, because mainly because Flash is there. That doesn't that right there is a sure a, a the Flash thing. I'll give you, and like I said, they're wearing different costumes, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me. Okay, something about the ending, too. Justice Lord Superman is choking Flash, and Flash is all like, you can't kill me, I'm the last piece of your conscience. As you said, Super Justice Lord Superman then says, oh, well, I've done other things I never thought I would do. One more thing ain't gonna hurt. So he's gonna kill the Flash. Then later on, Justice League Superman says to Flash, you wouldn't have been able to change his mind because I've had those same thoughts, too. Change his mind about what? Killing him? So Superman's had thoughts of killing Flash? I guess. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying there? I know what they're yeah. implying, that I've had those same thoughts. Look, if I'm this powerful, why don't I take control? That's what they're getting at. But Flash was not trying to change his mind about being in total control of the world. He was trying to change his mind to get him to not kill him. You know? <laughs> That's what Super... So when you view it that way, Superman's dialogue is like, wait, he's thought about killing the Flash. <laughs> Barry, uh, uh, Wally should have just been like, um, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, getting to the fight with the Superman robots, I love how the Green Lantern ring can just, like, shred those robots in half. But then when he goes to Hawkgirl's hospital room door, he has to, it buckles, and then it, it unbuckles, and then it shatters. So he can take apart Kryptonian technology robots, but not a wooden door. <laughs> those robots were clearly not of the best um, design. So that was clearly not Kryptonian technology. Oh, okay, so a, oh, wooden, door was a wooden door was stronger than the robots then. Okay. It was wood? I thought it was a metal door. No, I think it was wood. I, I don't remember. I, I really don't. I, I thought it was just a metal painted white door or something. I don't know. Point stands, though, those robots are terribly designed. <laughs> well, hang on. I, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But while we are talking about the robots, I don't know if you noticed, there were a couple points during the fight where the red in their white and red crests became yellow. And then it would switch Oops. back to red. Yeah, I was like, uh-oh, they, they screwed up their colors there. But now, what did I want to say about the robots? Oh, I don't know if you listened to the commentary, but I did. And the reason they had the robots be so stiff and delivering such weird dialogue is they were taking the piss out of themselves and how they made Super Superman stiff and gave him really bad dialogue in the first season of Justice League. Oh, yeah, you're talking about, like, no thanks and thanks. Yeah, like, they had said that everything the Superman robots say was said by Superman in the first season of Justice League. They were all direct lifts of dialogue, but delivered very wooden, because sadly, that's how they had portrayed the character in that first season. So, yeah, that, that's nice that they were, realized they screwed up and, you know, made fun of themselves. I don't know. I, I, I got more. I, I can keep going. I got good things. Please, please do. Okay, I got good Go things ahead. to say. I love in Arkham how Scarface was lobotomized, but not the ventriloquist. Yes, yes. That was awesome. Because that's the, that's the you know, if, if, if you lobotomize the dummy, quote-unquote lobotomize the dummy, the ventriloquist is going to think he's been lobotomized. Yes, so exactly. So do it on the dummy, and yeah, the guy will be fine, I guess. So that was a cute little touch. And I really enjoyed seeing how much Justice Lord Batman cared about the Flash. Because when the Flash flatlined, he freaked out. His eyes all bugged out, and he didn't run down the stairs. He leapt down them in like three jumps. I don't think he took a single step without jumping. 
And the reason Flash was able to outsmart him and physically beat him up is because Batman was so scared in that moment that he let his guard down and Flash took advantage of it. And that's how Flash was able to outsmart him and again beat him. He, you know, it's so I thought that was really interesting because we don't see that kind of dynamic between the League Flash, well, it's always the League Flash, but the League Batman and Flash, because, you know, Batman's always all gruff and whatnot, but that shows you deep down that the League Batman does care that much about his teammate. Even though he doesn't show it, he does care about him. That was an extremely nice touch. Do you have anything else to say about this one, or should we just get on to our scores? Uh, sure. Okay, Maid of Honor. I think I'll give this a six. That seems fair. I'm going to give this an eight. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, Flash floating out in space. I had to think if that was this one. <laughs> you know, that really bugged me. And them not knowing that Vandal Savage was around bugged me too. But I, I still had a hell of a lot of fun with this episode. So, yeah. Hearts and Minds. I'll give it a four. I don't know. Maybe that's higher than people would expect, but... <laughs> Uh, fuck it, four. That's a that's an apathy grade if ever there was one. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a three. And a better world. Well, it's about time that I overgrade one here. <laughs> I'm giving this one a seven. Ooh, wow, that's slower than I thought you'd give it. Yeah, well, I lowered it because I honestly I couldn't argue with most <laughs> of the things you brought up, so I had to bring it down. Yeah. Okay, I'm torn. It's like I'm. I think I'm gonna give this one a five, but there's a part of me that wants to say six. Just so people aren't as mad at me. But I got to be true to myself here, people. And seriously, I respect what they pulled from this one all those years later. But they weren't setting it up. They absolutely weren't. So when you just analyze it on, a, on its own, a lot of it just doesn't make sense. And even if you take away that stuff that would come out of it, still a lot of this episode doesn't make sense. I got to give this one a five. And there's even a part of me that's going towards four. But... Yeah, that's... I'm not going to do that. We'll stick with five. Think about it. A world where there's no crime, no victims, no pain, and no choice. Who elected you, anyway? Who elected you? The problem with democracy is it doesn't keep you very safe. It has other virtues, but you seem to have forgotten them. I didn't forget. I just chose peace and security instead. You grabbed power. And with that power, we've made a world where no eight-year-old boy will ever lose his parents because of some punk with a gun. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more Justice League stories. Those being Eclipsed, The Terror Beyond, and Secret Society. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.
I, but I don't, I, you know, blah, 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 bl